So we're in this series called At the Movies. And in this series, what I need you to know right up front is that we're not necessarily going to spend so much time in the movies. We're going to spend more time in the Word of God. And some of you are like, that's why I came to church, right? So, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to spend more time in the Word of God. And as you saw in that trailer, uh, we got Spider-Man Homecoming today. And I need to know, because over the course of the next four weeks, we're going to spend time in Marvel movies, blockbuster, Mar- well, okay, three blockbuster movies and then Doctor Strange, all right? <laughs> Wasn't that good, right, Jason? It was not that good. And so uh, we're going to spend time in three blockbuster movies and then also we'll spend time in Doctor Strange. And so over the course of these next four weeks, we're going to do that. Now, I need to know Marvel superheroes. Who is your favorite Marvel superhero? On the count of three, shout it out. One, two, three. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen that one too. It's my favorite of them all, right? I did hear Doctor Strange a lot though in this. Is this the Doctor Strange crowd? Wow. I I need to know because we got time today. Thor? Who's who's up for Thor? All the ladies. (laughs) All the ladies went, woo! Love me some Thor! All right? Uh, Spider Man. Captain America? Of course, it's the 4th of July week. Of course, you'd be Captain America. All right, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Really? I thought that'd be louder. I like Guardians. I like Groot, right? Uh, I can't go through them all, so let's just, let's just, Thanos, any Thanos fans in the house? (laughs) Who was that? (laughs) You can leave. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. All right, so here's the deal. We're gonna, over the course of this series, we're gonna spend time talking about some, some Marvel superheroes and we're gonna, we're gonna build out of that into scripture. And as you can see today, I'm wearing a Spider-Man t-shirt because here's the deal. I talked to my son the other day. My son is five years old and I sat down with him the other day and we're on his bed and I said, hey, Daxton, his name is Daxton. I said, hey, Daxton, I need some Spider-Man stuff. I'm going to actually talk about Spider-Man at church. And he's a big Spider-Man fan. He loves Spider-Man. He's never seen a movie because, well, I'm a good dad and I'm not going to make him watch a movie. And so uh, I sat him down. I said, hey, you got action figures. You got a web shooter thing. You got bed sheets. You got a blanket. You got everything you could possibly need. You got the mask. Daxton, can I borrow something of yours? Because I actually have to preach on Spider-Man at church. And his eyes got really, really big, big blue eyes. He looked at me and he goes, dad, Spider-Man. Spider-Man's in the Bible? (laughs) So as you can see, I got nothing with me, right? I didn't get his action figures, didn't get his mask, didn't get anything, because he actually hid things from me. He hid stuff from me because he was like, no, if Spider-Man's not in the Bible, you can't have my stuff, Dad. He was was upset, so I stole his T-shirt out of his closet. (laughs) We're the same size. Now, here, that's not the truth. So here's the truth that I want you to walk out with today. The truth that I want you to walk out with today is this, that you believe and you live out what you believe about yourself. You live out what you believe about yourself, even if it's not true. That you would live out your identity. How we view ourselves determines so much of how we live our life. It, it determines how we, we, we behave. It determines how we respond to other people. It can set the trajectory of our life. What we view about ourselves can really set the trajectory for everything else around us. I heard a story this past week about an experiment that took place called the SCAR experiment. And the way this experiment took place is they grabbed 10 individuals, 10 volunteers, and these 10 volunteers came in this room, and what they did is they had a 
a makeup artist place a scar on their face, just this hideous scar on their face. And the premise was to then send these people out into the world and see how other people responded based on the scar on their face. And so they brought them in individually. Each one came in individually, and the makeup artist would work on it and, and put this very hideous scar across their face. And then they, they would say, hey, here's the mirror. Look at the mirror. And they'd look in the mirror and see this scar on their face. And they'd say, don't touch it. Don't do anything with it. We got to make one minor adjustment on it. And so they'd hand the mirror back and the makeup artist would then remove the scar from their face in that minor adjustment without them knowing it, without them being able to tell, removed it and then said, all right, now go out. And they sent them individually one by one out into the world to see how people responded to the scar that was on their face. And the results were, were astounding. They came back and they said, people kept staring at my scar. People kept looking at me. They'd look at me and they'd look down. I was very self-conscious about my scar. It wasn't even there. But they believed it was there. And because they believed it was there, it actually affected the way that they lived their life. So many of us, we walk around with these scars in our life. Somebody said something to us, whether it was a teacher, a parent, a friend, a coach, a sibling, a coworker. And that thing that they said to you or said about you has begun to shape you and you walk around in this identity. And for many of us, it's a false identity because we believe what we, or we live out what we believe about ourselves, And we're walking around with all these scars all over us. Our clip today is actually from Spider-Man Homecoming. And what you'll find in this clip is that Peter Parker, Peter Parker is, is Spider-Man, spoiler alert. He's Spider-Man. And he's made a pretty big mistake. And in the process of this big mistake he makes, Tony Stark actually comes and scolds him. And I want you to watch what takes place as he's got confidence at the start, but as he hears from Tony Stark over and over and over again, his confidence begins to wane. Check this out. You hacked a multi-million dollar suit so you could sneak around behind my back doing the one thing I told you not to do. Is everyone okay? No thanks to you. No thanks to me. Those weapons were out there and I tried to tell you about it, but you didn't listen. None of this would have happened if you had just listened to me. <laughs> if you even cared, you'd actually be here. I did listen, kid. Who do you think called the FBI, huh? Do you know that I was the only one who believed in you? Everyone else said I was crazy to recruit a 14-year-old kid. I'm 15. No, this is where you zip it, all right? The adult is talking. What if somebody had died tonight? Different story, right? Because that's on you. And if you died, I feel like that's on me. I don't need that on my conscience. Yes, sir. I'm yes. sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, it doesn't matter. I understand. I just, I just wanted to be like you. And I wanted you to be better. Okay, it's not working out. I'm going to need the suit back. For how long? Forever. Yeah. Yeah, no, 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 please, 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 Mr. Let's Stark, have it. you don't understand. This, this is all I have. I'm nothing without this suit. If you're nothing without this suit, then you shouldn't have it, okay? God, I sound like my dad. Nothing without this suit. It's all I have. Did you hear that? That's the scar that he walks around with in his life. That that's what he's carrying around. I'm nothing without this. I'm just Peter Parker. I'm just some student. I'm nothing without this suit. This suit makes me something. So many of us, we walk around our daily life living that way, living as if we're nothing, living as if it's all we have is to, to have some aspiration to do something, but in reality, we just can't quite get to that point. 
And I want to kind of poke in on that today and spend some time going pretty deep on a pretty shallow series, if you will. Like this, this movie series can potentially look like it's going really, really shallow, but I want you to know today, we're going to go real deep. I had somebody after last service come up and go, hey, I want you to know I've never been so uncomfortable sitting in church. Buckle up. All right? Today, we're going to look at three Three things that we might do, three false identities that we carry around, but I want to shatter those false identities today. The first one is this. This label that we carry around is this label of, I can't do it. I can't do it. This is for the person who is a follower of Jesus, who's accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and said, you know what, I kind of got baptized, and then I started to begin to walk in my faith, and over the process of walking in my faith, I just kind of fell right back into that same sin pattern that I was in. I kind of walked right back into that that same shame that I carry around all the time. I walked right back into a poor habit. I walked right back in to saying, you know what? I want to read my Bible on a regular basis. And now I can't even pick up my Bible. I can't even find my Bible to pick it up. God might work for you when you pray to him, but it doesn't seem like he even listens to my prayers. You have great faith. I don't have faith, great faith. And you just kind of walk through this idea of saying, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't walk in faith. I can't pray to God. I can't sing to him. I can't get in the word. I can't trust him the way that other people trust him. And you begin to believe it because your spiritual enemy leans into you and says, you can't change. Your spiritual enemy leans into you and says, that's just the way that you're made. And after a while, you begin living out what you believe if you believe that you can't do it. But I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Check out what Paul says. He says, we destroy every proud obstacle that keeps us from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. Paul is saying that whenever self-talk or self-doubt begins to creep in this idea of I can't overcome this addiction, he says, capture that thought and make it obedient to Christ. I can't stop this habit. He says, capture that thought and make it obedient to Christ. I've tried this before. He says, capture that thought and make it obedient to Christ. Well, it's just the way that I was made. No, no, no. He says, capture that thought and make it obedient to Christ. In Philippians chapter four, verse eight, Paul later on in life, he's in prison. He's waiting on his execution. Check out what he says here in verse eight. He says, now dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about the things that are excellent and worthy of praise. In Colossians 1.29, it's the book we just got out of a series in. He says this. He says, that's why I work and I struggle so hard depending upon Christ's mighty power that works within me. He says, this is why I work and this is why I struggle. And understand, he's not talking about just his power. He's talking about God's power working inside of him. He says, I work and I I struggle at this. See, so many of us, when we have this idea of I can't, I can't overcome this addiction, I can't get past this sin, I can't get past my shame, I can't get past my past, so many of us, we we do one of two things. The the first one is, is we say, well, I got to try harder. And so we try and we try and we try and we try and we try all on our own power. The other extreme is the well-meaning Christian who says, well, I prayed about it, so God's got to do something about it, right? I prayed about it so he can do it. There's no work, there's no struggle, but in the reality of it, it's actually our power and God's power coming together. It's me doing my part, it's him doing his part. It's not all me, it's not all him, it's all we. See, we were created to need him. It's us waiting to call on him so that he can come alongside and help us out. When we say, I can't, I can't, I can't, it's not try harder, try harder, try harder. 
It's not just pray about it and leave it alone. No, no, no. There's a difference between trying and praying and surrendering. Saying, God, I've tried and I'm placing this in your hands. God, I'm trying and I'm coming before you to say, God, would you do something about this? It's also coming to a group of people and saying, hey, would you help me out in this? That's why we have community groups. So you don't walk alone in this thinking that you can't do it all on your own because you can't do it all alone. You need people to come alongside you. And in the process of that, what you'll do is you'll lean on God's power and your ability together. I liken it to my son. Like I told you, I've got a five-year-old son. He loves to play basketball. And so we've got a hoop out front in front of our house. We've got it up to about six feet high so that I can barely dunk. And so it's there. And so occasionally I'll come out and I'll throw it off the backboard and I'll slam one home. And he'll be like, dude, that's awesome. I wish I could dunk. I can't dunk. I'm like, well, Dex, let's talk about that. Why do you think you can't dunk? Well, we know why he can't dunk. He got my height. But he'll say, hey, you know, I can't dunk. I'll say, let's do this together, buddy. Because my son is not some kid who wants to just like have everything handed to him or done for him. And so he'll say, dad, I want to jump and I want you to catch me. And by me jumping and you using your power, we can dunk together. I'm like, all right, man, let's try this. And so he'll come out and he'll stand right underneath the hoop and he'll do the old Mario thing. You remember that when Mario goes, right? Remember that? Anybody? few of you remember that, all right? Gamers in the house. And so he'll do that. He'll, he'll get real low and then he'll jump up. And he's got my vertical, so he gets like that far off the ground. I'm like, all right, buddy. And so he'll jump and I'll catch him in the air and we'll dunk together. It's his power and my power coming together. It's him relying on me, surrendering to me, knowing in fact that he needs me to help him. In the same way, so many of us say, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. It's because you're trying too hard or because you're saying, God, you do this for me. We've got to come together and say, God, I need your power. I need your strength. I'm working. I'm struggling. I'm competing for a prize so that I might receive from you what you have for me. The second label that we walk around with a lot of times is this idea of I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. You, you heard it in, in that trailer, didn't you? You heard it in that clip where he says, it's all I have. Without this suit, I am nothing. It's all that I have. I can't do anything. I I can't be who I am without this thing. I'm not good enough. I I need you to know today, just in a moment of transparency, that this lie has affected me to no end. This lie of I'm not good enough, whether it be me as a husband, I I can try as hard as I want to be a good husband, but I feel like I'm not good enough as a husband. Or as a father, I can try really, really hard to be a great father, and sometimes I feel like I'm not a great father. Or even as a pastor, that that I I try so hard and try so hard and try so hard, no matter how much effort I put in, I feel like I'm not good enough. In a moment of transparency, I'm curious how many of you would feel the same way in your life, that you feel like you're not good enough. Let me see a show of hands real quick. That's why I love this place, just a, a moment of honesty. I love that we can be real with one another. And if you ever felt that way, whether you raised your hand or not, Exodus chapter four kind of walks us through this. It shows us a story of a guy who feels the same way. It's a guy named Moses and God comes to Moses and he says, I want you to deliver God's people from bondage. And watch as Moses felt the same way that so many of us feel. He said, oh Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. He said, hey, hey God, I'm slow of speech and of tongue. Don't put me in front of people because God, I'll freeze, I'll wig out, I'll get nervous. I'm not a public speaker. I'm sure God, there are plenty of other people in the world that you'd rather use than me. In other words, God, I know you made me. I know you created me. I know you're speaking to me audibly. I'm not good enough. 
And so many of us, we've felt that way, right? Someone told us we're not good enough. Someone told us that we're not smart and we began to believe it. Or you're no good and you began to believe it. You're pathetic. I wish you were more like your brother. I wish you were more like your sister. And you heard that over and over and over again. And you thought, you know what? Maybe I'm not that good. Maybe it's not just words. Maybe for some of you, it's your past. But you grew up with kind of nothing when you grew up and you're saying, well, I'm just never going to amount to anything because we really didn't have anything. Or maybe you were an average student and you say, well, I'm just an average student and so I'm never really going to be more than average. I'm never going to do more than just the average type of thing. Or maybe you had great dreams of of a, a successful marriage and so you got married and then all of a sudden something happened and now you're divorced. You feel like that's hanging over your head and you feel like you're a failure. And you base your worth on your past. Bottom line is this, you don't feel good enough. And Moses felt like so many of us do. And in Exodus chapter four, verses 11 through 13, what's interesting is God speaks to Moses audibly. In his own sense of inadequacy, God actually gets louder than Moses. Watch this dialogue, verse 11 through 11 and 12. It says, then the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether a person speaks or does not speak, hear or does not hear, sees or does not see? Is it not I, the Lord, now go and I will be with you as you speak and I will instruct you in what to say? How many of you, would love to have God audibly speak to you in that moment of inadequacy, that moment of I'm not good enough, that God would audibly speak to you and say, you are good enough. How many by show of hands would love to hear that? Moses has that said to him. Audibly, God says to him, you're enough. You know what Moses says back? Send somebody else. I need you to know today, church, that God is speaking to you audibly. He is speaking to you audibly and telling you that you are enough. And so many of us have began to believe this lie that we're not good enough. And it's led to some dangerous conclusions. Since I'm not good enough, I'll never make a difference. And so why even try? I'm just average. I fail at everything I do. I'm not good looking enough. I'm not talented enough. My body's not right. I'm inadequate in every way. And I'm not ever going to be loved. And so why even bother? Please remember this and don't forget it. You are not what other people say you are. You are not the sum total of your past experiences. No, you are who God says that you are. But let that settle in your hearts for a second. You're not the opinions of others. You're not what happened to you in your past. You are who God says that you are. And you want to see what God says that you are? Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He says this, for you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession, and as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. He says you are a chosen people. You are his possession. Now, why is this? This is so that you can show others the goodness of God. He called you out of the darkness, out of your sin, out of your shame, out of your pain, out of that addiction, out of that. He called you out of that and into his wonderful light, which is his son. You are good enough in him. When you fail, when you sin, when you carry around the burdens of your past, he is calling you out of that and he's saying, come over here into the light. Because in him, you are good enough. The last excuse we make is this. My worth comes from others. My worth comes from others. You heard it in the clip right there where he says, hey, I want to be just like you, Tony Stark. Did you catch that? And as you watch this entire movie, what you'll find is that he has this really identity crisis taking place. 
where he, all he wants to do is be called an avenger. That's all he wants to do throughout this entire movie. And he's saying, my worth comes from being an avenger. My worth comes from other people. And so he's trying to perform and perform and perform and perform. And in the process of performing, maybe someone will like him. Maybe somebody will begin to value him in his performance. As you watch it, you can kind of sit back and go, well, I, I know where I get it, right? So when I was a kid, I, I lived on this whole idea of performance mentality. If I got perfect attendance, I loved getting that award at the end of the school year, right? Get that award at the end of the school year, it says perfect attendance. If I won the spelling bee, man, I loved myself if I won the spelling bee. Granted, I only had 12 kids that I graduated with, and so it was pretty easy to win a spelling bee there, process elimination. But if you do something good, you feel good about yourself, Right? You know this. It works in your job, right? If you're the top producer in your company, you feel pretty good about yourself. If you didn't do well last month, you don't value yourself at all. Uh, you feel like a big loser. If you get the promotion or the monster raise, you feel pretty good about yourself. You've accomplished something, right? If you get the lower income, you don't feel that valuable. And then it gets really sick when we start involving our kids and how valuable we are based on our kids' accomplishments. You don't know anybody like that, do you? You know the person who goes, man, my kid's an honor roll student. I'm going to slap that sticker on the back of my car that says my son or my daughter is the honor roll student at such and such middle school, and you drive around like, yeah. (laughs) Then there's other people, you know, like their kids aren't that smart to get an honor roll, and so they've got the other sticker that says my kid beat up your honor roll student, and you're like, yeah. (laughs) Right? Or when my kids are behaving well at Red Robin, I'm sitting there going, I'm a good parent. When my kids are misbehaving at Red Robin, I look across the table and I say, wife, you're not a good parent. (laughs) She's not at this service. (laughs) Be honest though, how many of you would admit that you get your worth from what other people think about you? Just by show of hands. It's difficult, isn't it? It's difficult to to be honest in that moment and to understand that you really feel like you get your worth from what other people see about you, what other people experience you to be like. It might be your possessions as well. Look at the car he drives. Look at the car she drives. Look at the neighborhood we live in and the clothes that we wear, the places we take our kids, the vacations we go on, or the soccer teams that we're on. It's hard to admit it, but a lot of us, we get our value from what other people think about you. And I'll be honest with you, I... I've been in ministry for 15 years. And I used to get my value from what people would say to me after I get done preaching a message. I don't anymore, but uh, for a while it was, I'd stand in the lobby after a service and someone would come up to me and they'd say, hey, Ryan, great message. And I'd be like, nailed it. If you walk up to me and say, hey, Ryan, have a good weekend. (sighs) Didn't nail it. Other times in our life, and maybe you're this way as well when it comes to your work and how you want to be viewed at your work. You want to be the first to to arrive and the last to leave because you want everyone to know how hard of a worker you are. You want to prove something to somebody else. And your identity is all wrapped up in what other people think about you. Remember this and never forget it. You are not what you did. You're not what you do. You're not what you're going to do. Rick Warren says it this way. Your work and your worth are two very different things. You are who God says that you are. And we have to let that truth settle in our hearts. We're not our performance. We're not what we accomplish. We're not what we accumulate. We're not what other people think about us. We are who God says that we are. And if you haven't heard it loud and clear enough yet, let me look into Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, where the Bible says this, for we are God's masterpiece. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are a masterpiece. 
Some of you, that was a pickup line right there. You've been sitting by the same girl every single week waiting for your chance, and you got it. You're welcome. For we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we could do the good things he planned for us long ago. He says, you're a masterpiece. Those of us that get so wrapped up in this performance mentality of if I could just be the best athlete or if I could just be the hardest worker or if I could just be a better student and we get so wrapped up in that, trying to perform and perform and perform, let me speak to those of you in this room right now that feel that way. The next few moments, and I pray, could be life-changing for you. Let's define what I call the do's and don'ts. Let God define what you'll do and let God define what you won't do in your life. Now, why is this so important? It's important because for those of us, myself included, who live out this performance mentality, what's going on in your life right now is you're overcommitted. You're stressed. You're freaking out. You're trying to hold up all these balls in the air and you're wondering, can I keep this up? How do you know this? Because I've lived it. And the reason I know this is because when you begin to believe that your worth comes from other people, you're trying to prove yourself and you're going to end up doing way too much. And in reality, what's going to happen is you're going to do more than God wants you to do. And so God says, let me be the one who helps you say yes and let me be the one who helps you say no. How many of you have a hard time saying no by show of hands? It's good because we're going to talk about money here in a second. Kidding. (laughs) Kidding. Some of us, it's hard to say no, right? Because we're trying to please and please and please and perform and perform and perform. And if you base your opinion based on what other people think about you by how you perform, what you're really doing is you're getting in the way and interfering with what God wants to do in you and through you and for you. So some of us in this room just simply need to learn to say no and say a bigger yes to God. You know, my kids have been in public school for a little while now. I've got, a, you know, a seven-year-old daughter who's been in public school for two years. Her name is Kendall. And Kendall will come home periodically, and she'll begin to tell me, hey, Dad, so-and-so is better at math than me. So-and-so is taller than me. So-and-so's faster than me. So-and-so does this better than me. And so she'll begin to walk through, and she begins to compare herself to the other kids in her class. She kind of lives by this comparison model. I don't know where she gets it, right? But as I hear her speak, all I want to do is grab her and shake her in the most healthy possible way I can (laughs) and say, if you could see you for who you really are, Kendall, if you could see who, who you are in God's eyes, if you could see who you are in my eyes, Kendall, if you could see the compassion that you have for other people, if you could see the love that you have for other people, if you could see the way that you, you just kind of breathe confidence into people's lives, if you could just see what I see in you. Man, you, you could change your school. If you could see what I see in you, Kendall, you could make a difference in the lives of others and you wouldn't worry about what other people are thinking about you or what other people are saying about you. No, you would live out the way that God has intended you to live. And I wonder how many of us in this room today begin to live out one of these excuses. And our Heavenly Father, just like I want to grab my daughter and shake her in a healthy way, maybe the Heavenly Father today wants to grab you and shake you today in the healthiest possible way and say, if you could see you for who you really are, if you could see who I created you to be, you could make a difference. Yes, even you. You can be forgiven. Yes, even you. You can live out what I've called you to live out. Yes, even you. See, I have a feeling the Holy Spirit is speaking in this place today to you, and he's leaning in 
He's saying, I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. I want you to be who I made you to be. And so you carry around this scar and you're walking out what you believe is true and isn't even true about you. And God is speaking to you today and God is saying to you, you are mine. Let that settle in your heart today. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for the opportunity we have today to step into your presence, into your light, and into your love. And allow us, Father, to to see us for who we are, that we might not carry around these scars or these labels that we think we have, but rather that we would lean into you today for who you've made us to be. God, we love you, and we thank you. In your name we pray, amen.